Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken, episode 329, recorded October 10th, 2020. So today we're back into UK comic strips. Uh, these came out in 1972. I believe all of them came out in 1972. So we're doing the, the next three storylines, which I think is storylines 28 through 30. Right. Yep. And covers lots of issues. So Valiant and TV 20 issues 18 through, I'm not sure what it ends, ends with. but 42. 42. So 42 is the last one. Cool. So quite a few weekly issues. Right. And uh, if you're reading the collected editions, mm-hmm. um, these are in the classic UK strips, uh, Volume 2, which IDW put out in 2016. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you love Eagle Moss, but we never talk about their graphic novel collection. But uh, all of these are also included in the Star Trek graphic novel collection, issue 29. Oh, cool. You, you looked that up. Nice. I did look it up. Yeah, Eagle Moss originally is a publishing company. Um, and so seeing them... I, I don't buy the comics. Or the, you know, the, the, the publishing, the books that they pull together and, and, and also offer. I don't buy those, typically. But uh, I, I stick to the models. But uh, yeah, I guess that's a natural thing for them. Right. So another they- source... I, I did want these uh, to begin with because the, all the spines line up and it makes the uh, it makes a pretty cool, uh, oh, cool. picture, uh-huh. you know, of all the ships and stuff. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I already had most of the comics, um, you know, in long boxes and things like that in the closet. And I was just like, I can't, can't really ju- justify can't buying justify. them all again. But, uh, but right. if you didn't already have them all, then that's the way to go. Those are hard covered. Hard covered? Uh, yeah, the Eagle Moss ones are hardcover. Right. So that's nice. That's I, I bet it's not cheap. I never priced them, but... Right. I think you can get, like, a subscription to it, and they'll just send you one a month or something like that. It, it's, it's, it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. But... But anywho, so... Um, anywho. But, yeah, we got three stories. Um, they're not the best UK strips stories. No. No, they're not the best. <laughs> and some of them are are, are way... Reusing ideas, storylines that were done even by UK comics. Right, right. Yeah, it seems like they uh, maybe because they changed magazines at some point that they were like, let's let's redo that one story. <laughs> That's right. I can do something with that that, that giant one. Okay, great. Let's see what <laughs> you got. All right. So uh, you want to just jump into it then? Let's do them. All right. So the first one I get to do is issue twenty-eight. This came out in Valiant and TV 21 uh, magazines uh, 18 through 22. And they started in January 29th of 1972 to the 26th of February of 1972. So uh, this one's a fairly short one. Uh, So a meteor shower damages the Enterprise Shields communications and pretty much takes out the starboard engine nacelle. Uh, So the ship has to make an emergency landing on a nearby moon to make repairs. While waiting for the repairs, a probe is sent to the nearby planet, and it's just called 656. There they find a transmitter station, and uh, Kirk and his uh, team board a shuttle to go look for any other signs of life. While they're at the station, a dinosaur erupts from the water. And in the ensuing fight, Kirk and a crew member named Morton fall through a sinkhole into a sloping sandfield cavern. Meanwhile, Kirk and a crew member named Ferris drive off the monster with the shuttle. Spock somehow learns that the station is ground zero for an impending missile test. He contacts Ohura and asks her to contact the natives to call off the, the test. He also orders Ferris to leave in the shuttle if he does not return in two minutes. 
Spock then attempts to pull out Kirk and Morton out of the sinkhole using a rope, but he ends up falling in himself. They slide and fall for a while until they eventually enter a cave lit by bioluminescent fungus. Suddenly, some whipping tentacles suddenly grab them, and they think they're about to be eaten by flesh-eating mushrooms, only to be flung into a yet a deeper hole. Uh, crew member Ferris returns to the Enterprise. Ahura was able to establish contact with the Planet 656 natives, but they say it's too late and that the missile strike will land in seconds. Spock, Kirk, and Morton fall into yet another cavern as the bomb explodes on the surface of the planet, but they are safe where they're at. Here, they meet more of the giant mushroom creatures, and it turns out that these guys are the sentient natives of the planet. Through the use of the Universal Translator, the fungus apologizes for handling them so roughly, but they had to do it in order to save them from the blast. Ian. One positive thing I'll say about this particular storyline is at least it has some originality. Compared to the other two. Compared to the other two, yeah. But <laughs> the idea that we have intelligent mushrooms with tentacles. And when they first see them, I think it's Kirk, or maybe it was another guy, says, giant mush, giant mushrooms, flesh-eating mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. how the heck did that guy know they're flesh-eating? How did he know they were flesh-eating? Exactly. I guess uh, they had teeth. Well, do they have teeth? Are those teeth underneath the, uh, the uh, cap? I thought those were teeth, but maybe they're eyes. I don't know. Whoa! Well, there are definitely eyes on the on the on the outside. Eyes are on the top, yeah. Right, right. But you're talking about the bottom part that that uh, that, that from the edge it. that folds up into it. Yeah, I don't remember. No, I don't see any mouth. So yeah, okay. I don't know how he knew. Okay, uh, but at the base, because this looks like big mushrooms, big big red mushrooms, red and green mushrooms. They've got tentacles on the on the base of the mushroom, and these tentacles. Uh, I guess like a Venus flytrap, they're able to move them pretty quick. Which, you know, most plants can't really move around quickly. Or at all. Um, anyway, I just... Yeah, there you go. Right. My, my One of my problems was is that... Um, isn't it the falling that somehow fixes the universal translator? Like it... Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah, so he just lands on it right and it starts working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Handy, isn't it? All right, so uh, I'll, I'll admit, um, I, I had a hard time following some of this. So how did Spock suddenly know that there was going to be a bomb? Because that seemed like I missed a page or something. Well, it was just like... He was in the bunker and wasn't there like uh, there, a there was like coming a, over the... Uh... Like and an it was a countdown, is that what it was? Right. So he just knew that there was a countdown, but... Oh, okay, no, no, no. I, all right, I see the little thing now. I thought that was him saying, test bomb released, impact, plus 15, 14, 13. I thought that was Spock, Spock? saying that. But no, that's no. from that's from the Universal Translator. Uh, it all depends on where the, bu- where the, where where, the... Where the bubble is? The little bubble goes. Exactly, <laughs> right. All right, so that makes more sense, all right. But why were they blowing up their own, uh, their own? Well, yeah. Well, what, well uh, I, I think I think it was supposed to be a station that had like equipment and things to measure the blast or whatever. I think yeah. I think that was the idea. Um, but but why are the mushrooms? So there's another set of mushrooms that are their enemies, and they feel they have to create bombs that they need to test. Well, they never know when they're going to be attacked by outside forces. So, oh, yeah, you come have to on! Be prepared. Oh, come on! I mean, it's, so so these mushrooms know that there are <laughs> that there are uh, other intelligent life out there somewhere. Sure, sure. Well, we don't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that. Okay. So from the one, on the one hand, it's kind of cool that oh, a, a, a new kind of life form. A mushroom, an intelligent mushroom. Okay, great, whatever. So I guess it, yeah, it's like yeah, anything's possible. But um, 
kind of ridiculous. And, and look at the panels. Uh, the panels in the test site, in the cavern, in the control center, they've got very 1960, 70 era kind of control panels. And it's right. like, it's good for us because we recognize what they are right away. But do we really think that intelligent mushrooms with tentacles would be building control consoles that look just like ones made for humans with two hands and, like, digits? Right. Yeah, uh, with switches and speakers and things exactly. like that. Exactly. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. No, I thought the same thing. And then also... Um, if you think about it, those first set of mushrooms that grabbed them and threw them down the, the second shaft, yeah, uh, they died. So they sacrificed themselves to save the crew. Oh, were, were they on the surface? Well, they weren't on the surface. They were in that weird halfway point, right? Oh, after, okay. after they fell through the sinkhole, they eventually stopped, right. found that first set of mushroom guys that grabbed them and then right. threw them down another hole. Exactly. Because, and they said that they had to throw them down the hole because you would have died if you stayed in that first spot. So that means that ah. these these mushrooms sacrificed themselves for Kirk. So that means the mushrooms have locomotion and were able to move themselves to the higher level. Uh, I assume so. Yeah. Fascinating. That's well, what they... that little bunch of pink stuff is on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had to be up there at some point to build a bunker, right? Right. And Which looks... We look strangely uh, like a human <laughs> concrete bunker, but yeah, okay. Well, maybe that's what they're testing because they're planning on attacking Earth. So they were like, "We're going to build a bunker that looks just like an Earth bunker to see how our weapons stack up against human okay. structures." Okay, okay, there you go. So they know about us, but we ha- we're not sure about them. Exactly. Okay, cool. No, I'm just making stuff up. Yeah, I know. I know you are, but still. Now, as far as these creatures go, I would have loved to have seen, uh, you know, a 1960s uh, budget try to make these believable creatures. <laughs> uh, it, it's something that Star Trek never really did that much, except for, you know, like a Horta. But, right, uh, right. But definitely something like, like Doctor Who. I think Doctor Who would have gone for, or for maybe intelligent even, mushrooms. Uh, yeah, Lost in Space. Oh, with, Lost uh, in Space had some horrible... the weird creatures. Oh, like, like the carrot. Like the, the intelligent carrot. carrot. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, that was horrible. In the annals of some of the most ridiculous, worst aliens ever, the Lost in Space intelligent carrot has to be near the top of the list. And I would also venture to say there are multiple things from Doctor Whoville uh, that uh, that would be in that that pantheon of greatness. They, they had uh, they have some weird creatures. Yeah, and their budget was terrible, uh, and so they were like some of the some of the most rubbery, low budget <laughs> things you ever saw. Or you could see the guy inside. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love, yes, yes, yes. I love Doctor Who when I you was. Gotta, you gotta you had to just still. look past all that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just like with the original Star Trek. The Gorn is not just a big rubber dude. It's the Gorn. a cool-looking reptilian oh, I, monster. Okay. You gotta admit, I mean, the, the Gorn is... Okay, fine. But the Gorn's a, a, a notch up over a lot of the stuff they had in Doctor Who. Well, Doctor Who had a lot longer to, to play with. Right. I'm sure if Star Trek kept going, it would start, you know... Devolving it's, it's, into... it, it would start devolving. They would be like, "Oh, we need we need something. How about some mushroom guys?" <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They'll just kind of jiggle when they're talking, like Lost in Space. I, the first, I think, the first uh, episodes in Lost in Space were were really good and, and and like believable adventure. And then it just descended into monster of the week, ridiculous garbage. Right, in my opinion, but whatever. Okay, so I want to well, talk about how the Enterprise landed on this moon. Okay. So, the Enterprise landed on this moon. I mean, they did it on purpose. Well, I mean, like, the cell was gone. <laughs> but why do you... <sighs> okay. So, uh, they've got a retro rocket or something, and only one, built into the secondary hull. And it's just blasting... Uh, that's how they're landing. Is they're they're just la- they're landing with this 
awkward looking um, single downward firing engine. I mean, it looks kind of kind of cool if you don't think about it. Um, and then when it lands, it's able to sit upright with no landing gear, like Voyager had landing gear. That made sense. Uh, but they don't even try to put landing gear. So uh, I don't quite know how it's able to maintain an upright posture, but it is. Um, because, of course, it's sitting on the secondary hull, which is a, a cylinder. So, oh, well. Uh, you're, you're being mean because that, that picture is awesome. That's well done. Awesome? Well done artwork. Yes, I it's, love it. it yeah, it, it's fine. It just makes no sense, Donovan. Come on. And so how are they going to get... Okay. <clears throat> they land all the time in the UK strips. We can't always <laughs> knock over them. Uh, all the yes, time? The, the, I'm not I'm sure about all the time. But oh, we, yes. we, we do have landing going on. Uh, yes, more than once. Yes, I'll agree with that. Anywho. You know, they land, get attacked by giants have to, you know, cure the leader's son because he got hit by a, his own bomb, you know, uh, that kind of stuff. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. So, Chekhov. So, Chekhov is in this. Is, what, is it the first page? It's at the beginning. I think it's the first page. Um, where they, they're hit by a meteor shower, which, how they could not have seen a meteor shower coming from a mile away, I don't know, but they didn't, and so they're hit, getting hit by all this, this stuff. That looks right. like meteors or whatever. And uh, I guess it's, yeah, it's Kirk. So Kirk says, all hands to emergency stations. Chekhov. If we're a hold, we're in dire trouble. And then Chekhov responds because he says, aye, aye, sir. Now, the drawing of the person that's supposed to be Chekhov doesn't look anything like Chekhov. But, that is true. Um, I mean, way nothing like Chekhov. He doesn't look young. He's changed, yes. He doesn't look young. He looks like he's a mature, you know, I don't know, 30-something person. Uh, Hair is slicked back, so we don't have the the monkeys, Davy Jones slash Beatles haircut. I don't know. It's it's nothing like Chekhov. But nice that Chekhov was in there. Yeah, and he gets a bigger role in a later issue. There you go. Yes. And again, I don't... I don't believe he looked like Chekhov then either, but he did not. <laughs> but thank goodness we have dialogue boxes that tell us who that tell us when when people are okay. Good. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like the dinosaur, which which looks like a big lizard that you might right. have in a terrarium. Exactly. Only he's got a little extra thing on the top of his head. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Good point. Only only in some panels is that up there, right? So I mean, it just, reminded just, me of a of a toy I had when I was a kid. You know, one of those go. rubber t- rubber dinosaur exactly. generic dinosaur toys. Exactly. Yeah. So this. So he's not like a T Rex. He's got to be on all four legs. Right. So, uh, but yeah, what a threat. Right. And again, you'd think that phasers would be more effective, but whatever. But they yeah, are fall down the hole. But they are shoot the, the guy that shoots him. Is that Kirk? I guess it's Kirk. Uh, he's only got a phaser type one in his hand. So if they're trying to say it's a low power phaser, okay. It's only a phaser type one, the smaller one, the cricket version. Is that what they call it, the cricket version? Uh, I don't know. It's what I call it because it's little. It's a little one, right? I always liked that one, and they and they just had it for a little while in Next Gen, and then they got rid of it. Yeah. Although it did pop up later when uh, when Wesley Crusher was using uh, a phaser for something, I forgot the details of that episode, but it popped up again then. I don't remember. Yeah, Encounter at Farpoint, we saw them, and then I don't know that we ever saw them again until that. That one where Wesley Crusher was trying to get away from the rest of the crew for some reason. I don't remember the details, but mm. it popped up then. Uh, I don't think we mentioned who the artist was on this, or at least when, when I say me. Uh, um, according oh, to Memory Alpha, it's John, John Stokes. Stokes. Yeah, John Stokes. I think he does all three of these today. Yeah, I think I think he's the main. 
or one of the main artists at this point, isn't he? Right. But I, I mean, everybody looks pretty close. I mean, they don't look exactly. Chekhov but, uh, doesn't at all. Who uh, Chekhov? Chekhov, as we just no, no, he does. No, he doesn't. But, but, but I mean, you... but Kirk, Spock, McCoy. Well, McCoy's it, not it, in any of these. Yeah, it depends on the panel, but in general, yeah. Yeah, Spock, Spock looks like Nimoy in most all the panels. Um, there's another dark-haired guy with a red shirt. Uh, like that is bridge. Ferris. Ferris, was that his name? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I don't know who he was, uh, but he, he's an extra character they threw in. Um, yeah, and he looks just like him. <laughs> just, just like, just like just, Ferris. Just like Ferris. <laughs> it's so accurate, isn't it? That's <laughs> if you've never seen him before. Now he looks more like Chekhov. At least, at least he looks like a young guy. Right. But yeah, I yeah. thought it was weird that they introduced all these new people when they could have had Scotty or somebody. I mean, since nobody dies, you know, mm-hmm. they, why not have? I mean, I guess Scotty's fixing the nacelle, so he needs to be there. But yeah, He's why introduce new people like Ferris and uh, Morton when you could just oh. use guys we already know? Oh, good, good. You remember their names. Well, I did write the synopsis, so. <laughs> good, good point. Good point. All right, that was my my last comment. Okay. Ten uh, pages of greatness. Ten pages of greatness. There you go. Um, my last thing I just want to mention is there's a shot when the shuttle is taking off from the ground and zooming past the uh, the lizard or the the dinosaur, and mm-hmm. that's a pretty cool panel. I like I like the drawing there a lot, and uh, and the engine of the shuttle is apparently making the sound. Bram! I think that's a pretty cool looking panel. Yeah, so it looks I good. Just, just want to comment that on that. The dinosaur's okay. going to take a bite out of it. It's going to try, but the shuttle's way too fast. <laughs> okay, that's all I'd say. All right, cool. Now we go on to The Collector. Yeah, so this one was Storyline 29, which encompasses issues 23 through 33, which has published dates of March 4th, 1972, through May 13th, 1972. And uh, I don't know who the writer is. Maybe Donovan knows, but I don't. And then John Stokes is the artist. On Earth, an experimental high-tech reconnaissance plane is being tested out by famed test pilot Wallace Hawkins. While on the flight, the plane disappears after Hawkins reported a pulsing light ahead of him and coming close fast. Meanwhile, far distant from Earth, on its five-year mission, the USS Enterprise is minding its own business when they come into contact with another ship shaped like a flying saucer. They are shocked, since they never saw a spaceship exactly shaped like a flying saucer before. Hmm. The flying saucer fires on them, but Kirk orders shields just in time. Armaments officer Sulu retaliates by using captive beams, which might be tractor beams, on the UFO, which, of course, ends up significantly damaging the flying saucer for no apparent reason. They send a team of spacewalkers to the trashed flying saucer rather than just beaming over. The spacewalkers find the experimental plane and the test pilot, Wallace Hawkins, from the start of the issue. Uh, Hawkins is dead. End of issue 23. Issue 24. Kirk receives word of the stolen Earth rocket plane and murdered test pilot from his space walkers. Kirk contacts HQ and gets an admiral on the horn. The admiral quickly comes to the conclusion this is likely uh, this li- the admiral quickly comes to the conclusion this likely is the same parties that have been kidnapping Earth aircraft and other vehicle for hundreds of years. Kirk is not happy about any of this and puts on a pouty face. They study the flying saucer for any clues as to its origin, but they f- but find its computer bank has been wiped. In the meantime, cut to a clumsy-looking robot that 
that likely sounds like a Dalek when it talks. It's monitoring the Enterprise and reports to its master that the Enterprise has moved on. Its master is a bald humanoid that calls himself the Collector. He speaks of seizing the greatest prize in the galaxy. Sometime later, the Enterprise arrives at a Class M planet in the Beaton star system. Uhura picks up a strange signal coming from one of the planets. Kirk and Spock take down an armed shuttle with a security team. The Collector makes it clear he wants them to come to Beaton so he could add the Enterprise to his collection of Earth vehicles through the ages. The end of Issue 24. Issue 25. The shuttle approaches the only building on the planet. The Collector walks out onto a landing pad and beckons them down to land. Inexplicably, the Collector shoots the shuttle as soon as it drops its shields to land. All he had to do was let them land and take it over. Whatever. The Collector apparently shoots the shuttle all too well, and it starts heading for the ground out of control. End of issue 25. The shuttle crashes partway into one of several large geodesic domes that are part of the Collector's complex. Kirk and his team survive and are granted a view within the dome. They see multiple flying saucers, just like the one that kidnapped the test pilot and his rocket plane. This must be the place. They get down to the ground with phasers drawn, looking for that bald guy. They look into a second geodesic dome through a window and see an impressive collection of Earth vehicles through the ages. Kirk wonders if the man who brought them down intends to add the Enterprise to his collection. Kirk changes the plan and talks about beaming back to the Enterprise, but they realize Spock has disappeared. End of issue 26. Issue 27. Spock finds himself bound by robots and brought before the Collector. Spock gets the grand tour of the collection and finds out the Collector considers himself a free agent beholden to no government. He also comes out and tells Spock the Enterprise will become his latest acquisition. Meanwhile, Kirk orders the rest of the team back to the Enterprise while he goes it alone to search for Spock. Why? Why is he doing that? Okay. Kirk enters one of the buildings and comes face to face with Spock who is pointing a phaser at him and saying, Destroy! Must! Destroy! End of issue 27. Issue 28. Spock shoots at Kirk, but like a poor marksman, he keeps missing the mark. The Collector enters the room and blasts Spock, who turns out to be a bald robot. Kirk realizes it's just a robot that the Collector plans to use to take over the Enterprise. The Collector reunites Kirk with the real Spock and tells them all about his evil plans. Spock concludes the Collector has no further use for them and he will now kill them both. The end of issue 28. Issue 29. The Collector corrects Spock and says they both need to bear witness to the Collector's crowning achievement to add the Enterprise to his collection. Two robots march Kirk and Spock off to a holding cell while holding the Starfleeter's hands behind their backs. When they arrive at the cell, Kirk's robot releases his hands to open the door. Kirk takes the opportunity to barehanded beat the living tar out of his metal robot, and then use it as a projectile to ram into Spock's robot guard. They escape and find themselves in the middle of the collector's collection. They grab a World War II-era British bomber, in an act of desperation, and fly it out into the open air of sweet freedom. End of issue 29. Issue 30. The Collector sends his replicant robots that look like World War II pilots to man three fighter planes and order them to bring down Kirk and Spock. Kirk and Spock unusually quickly get the hang of the flight controls and machine guns in time to engage in a dogfight with three fighters. 
As the collector looks on, entertained by seeing part of his collection in action, he orders his robots to get the Kirk and Spock replicants to call to the Enterprise and request a beam-out. End of issue 30. Issue 31. Kirk and Spock's dogfight goes well due to Spock's cleverness and the replicants' dim-wittedness. Two fighter planes down, one to go. The Kirk and Spock replicants arrive on the Enterprise and order the Enterprise to descend towards the planet. As the Enterprise enters the atmosphere, Scotty and Uhura see a World War II vintage bomber plane coming up towards them. End of issue 31. Issue 32. Scotty knows something is up, but the replicant Kirk tells him to follow orders and continue the descent. On the bomber, Kirk tells Spock to put the plane on autopilot and try to radio the ship to warn them about the robotic imposters. Spock warns Kirk that without evasive maneuvers, it'll all be up to Kirk to shoot the last fighter out of the sky. Kirk shoots the last Spitfire out of the sky. Spock successfully communicates to Ohura the real Spock is not on the Enterprise by saying the code word hat trick over the bomber's radio. The replicant Kirk and Spock pull phasers out and order Scotty to continue the descent. End of issue 32. Issue 33, and the final issue. Yay! Spock reports to Kirk that the bomber is running out of fuel. They will only be able to stay aloft for a few more minutes. On the Enterprise, a young helmsman takes it upon himself to throw the ship into a jarring maneuver that throws the replicants off balance and gives him the chance to pull out a handy phaser type 1 he just happened to be carrying. Replicant Kirk is taken out. Scotty suddenly has a Type II phaser and shoots the replicant Spock. The bomber is out of gas, so the real Kirk and Spock think they are going to die, but suddenly feel the tingle of a transporter beam. Kirk and Spock, the real Kirk and Spock, are back on the Enterprise. Kirk tells Scotty they have to get out of there fast. The Collector, feeling the need for some revenge, fires a formidable-looking missile at the now-ascending Enterprise. Unfortunately, the missile somehow hits the bomber that by now must be descending. The descending bomber must have been really low in the sky over the Collector's Museum because not only is the bomber blown to bits by the missile, but so is the Museum and the Collector. Seeing the menace of the Collector is ended, Kirk orders a new course away from the beaten system. The end. So, the collector. The collector. So, not too long ago, we had a collector issue where uh, that little robot guy was uh, trying to scoop up all of ships and things. Remember, and uh, Kirk and Spock had to take it out. So, was, floating guy. Was he? Was he a robot, or was he like a... I think he was like a guy on tentacle. a sled. Yeah. That's him, yeah. yeah. So he's like a tentacle green guy on some kind of a floating uh, circle exactly. sled kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah, same, very similar idea. Only with that one, it wasn't... That collector wasn't like only focused on Earth, tra- Earth vehicles. Nah, he was, he was a multi... Uh... A multi-species collector. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. So I I don't know why he was so fascinated with Earth vehicles, but whatever. Speaking of Earth vehicles, what do you think about the high-tech futuristic rocket plane that was being uh, tested? At the beginning? Yeah, it made no sense. Yeah. Why would they need... You already have warp drive and things like that. Why else do you? What else do you need? Yeah, you got shuttles, all that kind of stuff. Right. Why would you need what looks like pretty much like a modern fighter plane? And and the whole thing just smacks of a of a Cold War plane, like a U two or a Blackbird spy plane. Right. That's what it just has a feel about. And it's like, why would you need that two hundred years in the future? It doesn't make any sense. It did not. 
Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that part. No. Yeah. I mean, these days we got satellites up in the sky, you know, with incredible uh, abilities of taking pictures of, of the ground with incredible uh, precision. Uh, you know, I, do you think that's even... what it was? That was what it was supposed to do? Take pictures? Well, they said it was a reconnaissance plane. Oh, okay. Uh, stratospheric reconnaissance plane is what they called it. But it's like, well, anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of looks cool, but, you know, but it's kind of yeah, like... It's has very contemporary. Like. Yeah. So I think the thing that makes it look most, like, maybe futuristic is the gull wing plane. Or the gull wings on the thing. Right. Uh, so so kind of like an old World War II Corsair, although not quite the same. Uh, but it, so the... So the wing comes down halfway, and then it, it shoots up and you know on an angle. Right. But it doesn't really, have wheels either. It it just uh, oh, has little the struts. landing gear. Yeah. 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 Yep. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I just and it was a major coincidence that the Enterprise just happened to be running headlong into it on its way back. Right. I mean, they weren't searching for it, right? It was just no. Oh, something's about to hit us. Shoot it. Sure. Right. And so, and, and so the thing self-destructed, right? The, the, the flying saucer, the robotic flying saucer that had the, uh, the test plane. Well, they did shoot it, or it shot them. Well, it, it shot them, and, and then... And then they shot it. Oh, well, no, then it was the captive beams. The captive beams. The captive beams. So tractor beams, right? Right. Okay, so... But then, I mean, the tractor beams, captive beams... That doesn't that doesn't blow anything up, uh, but the flying saucer blows up. Right. So what the heck? I mean, the only thing that makes sense to me is it's a robotic thing. It must have a self destruct device. But if it had a self destruct device, it isn't a very good one. I mean, because it left. I mean, yeah, it blew out a lot. It left all this up. But yeah, it it left the evidence. I mean, isn't isn't that what you'd have a self destruct for? So you. You couldn't track them back to the home base and there wouldn't be any evidence of your, you know, stealing? I don't know. Right, right. I did like how when the, they were communicating with the, the general or whatever, he was mm-hmm. just sitting there with uh, some Polaroids. <laughs> like, yeah, this is a ship that we lost and then in the 70s and then this one we lost in the 90s or exactly. 80s, whatever it was. It's just like... We have something better than just uh, a stack of those Polaroids to yeah, show off. Exactly. Yeah. Although the thing I do like about about that whole part <laughs> there is I like that the general is wearing a Kirk dress uniform. Uh, was it the menagerie? He he wore that at the, you know the beginning of it, the right. menagerie, and then maybe he wore it again in court martial. But I do like seeing that uniform. Uh, although I don't think it's a general's uniform, but who knows? Maybe generals wore them too. I don't know. Do they um, call him general? I, I just said that. Oh, okay. Well, he's uh, no, uh, admiral. admiral. He's they an admiral. admiral, so I shouldn't have said general. He's an admiral. Okay. Uh, but but look, he's got blue pants on. It's like, come on, guys, blue pants. That should be black pants. Whatever. Uh, but but also the thing I kind of liked about it is. They kind of headed us off in a direction where it was almost an X Files episode. So he's bringing in all this um, this lore of uh, UFOs uh, on Earth, mm-hmm. right? And I kind of like that. So the whole whole thing about um, you know the light coming you know, when when the plane disappears and then the pilot is reporting, he sees a light coming at him quickly, and then. You know, right. communication cut off, and then this he starts talking about. You know, you know somebody's taking taking ships. It's like it's almost like, ooh, cool! The Enterprise is going to tackle the Bermuda Triangle or the uh, you know all the UFO stuff lore and get to the bottom of what all this is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was kind of I was kind of digging it, and then when they actually showed us what's behind all of it, it's like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> okay. Oh. So with with, with, with Faj, who was that guy in uh, most toys? Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't remember his name. I, I don't remember his name either. But basically, the collector's that guy, right? So, 
Yeah, so when we were reading this, uh, Ken was texting me all excited. Oh, <laughs> you think that the next generation people what? read I, these comics? I, how, how do you know if I'm excited or not? It's a text. It was a very excited text. What Did, did, I, did I use an emoticon showing excitement or something? Hey. You're, you're reading quite a you, bit into this. I'm just telling this. you how I read them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, oh, okay. Oh, Donovan, you can't believe it. That's, that's the way I remember <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was yeah. it was pretty funny. Yeah, it, it made me think more of the the rant, the more recent issue than than the collector. But I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, if he would have just stopped at I want Spock, which is what I was thinking. I was like, oh, he's gonna try to get Spock because he's the first human Vulk hybrid. Oh, okay. And then yeah. when he would, then it was just I want to capture the whole Enterprise. Then I was just like, eh, now it's just like that other one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I've read so many comics in the past with you know like somebody wanting to capture Superman, put him in a menagerie because he's the last Kryptonian. Or, oh, you know, uh, cool. it's 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 a storyline that a lot of uh, comic books have used in the past. Fascinating. I did not know that. Yep. I think I think every uh, every. Every major comic book publisher has their version of a collector. Like, you know, I think even the collector was in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Movie. Yeah. yeah. So. And he's a, Very he's a character. And he had uh, Howard the Duck, the, the, the only uh, <sighs> duck. The only talking duck. Intelligent duck. <laughs> yeah. Technically, he's not since he's from another planet. But, oh, uh, okay. Is that where Howard the Duck comes from? Because I have no idea. Yeah, he's an alien where ducks ducks evolved instead of you uh, instead of monkeys apes <laughs> there you go exactly anyways um the one thing i thought they were going to go when they didn't uh was when they were showing that all the ships and stuff in the collection i mm-hmm. kept waiting for them to say uh something about um amelia Earhart. oh and then right. i was gonna uh uh-uh, i know amelia Earhart's in the Data belt uh, Delta Quadrant, so uh, <laughs> I go there. <laughs> but they didn't, so I uh, couldn't say that. Yeah. So what I found fascinating is the uh, is every vehicle that they really gave you an idea what it was were pretty much British planes or cars. So, sure. so it's I think that's a Jaguar. Um, that they show a car, a very cool looking car, uh, or maybe that's a maybe it's a Porsche or something. I don't know, but well, Porsche is Porsche is German. But I'm but I'll bet you dollars of donuts that's a Jag. Um, and then fi- later in the story, we find out that it's a British bomber uh, that that Kirk and Spock grab. And that's fine. It's for the UK comics. That's fine. I see a Sopwith Camel, you know, biplane. In, in the picture, too, prominently there. And then, of course, the fighters are uh, British Spitfire fighters. So, that's fine. It's a UK comic. UK comic. You gotta... You gotta, you gotta expect that. Yep. Yep. And, and, and maybe some of these other vehicles that I don't quite know what they are, you know, maybe there are other countries also, but for everything... Well, some of really... them are from the future. I bet some of them are. Our future, their past. Right, right. Well, that red car, it looks like there's a red car that looks very, it's probably a futuristic one. Right. You only see the very front of it, the front grille. Looks like a red Batmobile. <laughs> Maybe. With a really big air intake. Right. <laughs> right. That's huge. Huge. Anywho. So I, there's one panel that shows the collector. Who's, he's a bald guy. Um... But he's not wearing purple, but he's got robes and stuff. So, you know, you could say he has a little bit of a Lex Luthor look, but in one particular panel, looking at his face, where he's well-lit and things, he just looked, reminds me of uh, a bald Sir Alec Guinness. Uh, younger than Obi-Wan Kenobi days. Sure. But, he, you know, the, the cleft in the chin and kind of, you know, the overall look of the face just reminds me of uh, Sir Alec Guinness. Yeah, I could see it. So, uh, what's the purpose of having um, robotic automatons in glass cases? In the in the, I mean, they don't move. So why have why have them so that he can yeah, just turn dummies. them on and they can start dummies. moving? 
Now, what would be cool is if every once in a while he goes out and has his his stuff go out and fly. You know, I guess that would be a reason to have, you know, go to the, go to the expense of filling it with robotic gear as right. opposed to having a dummy. But it sounded like he'd never done that before. When he, you know, when he was watching the planes dogfighting and stuff, he's like, "Oh, I should do this more often." Like, oh, right. that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, and, and the ships were maintained enough so that they could still fly. Yep. After sitting there for hundreds of years. Yep. Yep. And he would have had to manufacture fuel, uh, which he keeps them fully loaded with fuel. <laughs> it's like okay. And ammunition. And ammunition, exactly. I mean, right. Um, but at least they did finally run out of fuel, so that's right. Okay, so that's kind of that's kind of like cool. Of course, that worked into the story well, but um, yeah. So, so how, how about that? Oh, go ahead. You go. No, go ahead. Go. Yeah, I, I was since we talk about the bomber running out of fuel and things. How did all that happen at the end? Which part? So the, the bomber. The, so so the, the missile hits the bomber, and the explosion must be big enough. And and the bomber was close enough to the collector's uh, compound that the entire compound blows up. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Conveniently, How did all that happened. Conveniently, after they got beamed out and it ran out of gas, it just fell into the flight plan flight of path. that missile. Exactly. Yeah. And not only that, but it was close enough to the the collector's compound that it blew up the facility. Yep, and blows it all up. Yeah, no, it made no sense. That I was like, no what are the chances? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the other thing that doesn't make sense, which I think I alluded to a little bit in the synopsis, is why did he shoot the shuttle on its way down? Shoot the shuttle? The shuttle at the beginning. Uh, you know, the shuttle's oh, coming down. yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of waiting for the Enterprise to land? Oh, yeah, or... wait, wait for the shuttle to land. It's like, why do you do things the hard way, you <laughs> idiot? Just let them land and then take them. Right, because now they crushed, crunched it all up. He could have had a perfect shuttle if he would have exactly, exactly. Good point. I don't know. These these evil masterminds got to think it through. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Anything else? Um. Oh, um. I'm surprised. So, so that helmsman. That blonde-haired, red-shirted helmsman yeah. that that had the wherewithal to uh, scream to... out treachery. That one. <laughs> I don't know. Did he? Well, it, yeah. it's he, he's the guy who uh, who jarred the ship, right? And, uh, shot, to, and to, shot fake Kirk. And shot fake Kirk with a with a, a phaser type one. Okay, he, he said treachery. Okay, cool. Yeah, he, sh- he that. says that when he's shooting him because the fake Kirk says. What are you doing? And he screams out, treachery! Oh, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my thing is, why the hell wasn't that Sulu? I mean, why why do you insert insert young blonde boy? So this is is supposed to be somebody that the reader can better relate to? I mean, that should have been Sulu. Yeah, Sulu is there. But yeah, why is it not Chekhov? Okay, well, it says Helmsman. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's right, the guy right, who's right. at, yeah. But he's at Chekhov Station. Yeah, you're right. You're right, he is. Um, but maybe he thinks he's in TNG, but who knows. Anyway, uh, I, I just thought they should have had Chekhov. I mean, Sulu. Yeah. Right. No, they should have. Uh, that's it. That's it. That's a lot to say. All right, now for the best one. The best one of the day. Oh my gosh, no. (laughs) All right, so this one is entitled To Swiftly Go. And it came out in the Valiant and TV 21 magazines 34 through 42, which came out May 20th, 1972 to July 15th of 1972. So the and I don't know how to pronounce this. Is it quitter? Quitter? Anyways, that's how I'm going to pronounce it. So, if you think it's wrong, Ken, then tell me now. Nah, nah, fine, quitter. Sounds great. 
So the Enterprise has arrived to the planet Quitter for some diplomatic first contact meetings. Kirk and his team travel by shuttlecraft down to the planet, only to be attacked by a giant bird. With regret, they are forced to zap the bird with phasers in order to escape. On the ground, a hunter sees a normal-sized bird fall to the ground. Looking up, he thinks he sees the bird that killed it, so he takes a shot with his hunting rifle. The shuttle is smashed by a huge unknown projectile, and they are forced to make an emergency water landing. They swim to the shore only to learn that uh, the Quitterins are at least 100 feet tall. A young boy, having a picnic with his parents, sees the crew, and he scoops them up in order to play with them. He and his family return to their home, and he plays with them in his room as if they were action figures on his train set and other toys. Meanwhile, Chekhov and the Quitter leader uh, finally put two and two together, and they realize that the Quitterins are much, much larger. The leader then makes a broadcast to the whole planet, telling his people to look out for some tiny little people. Kirk and his company have fought off a giant spider and were almost sucked into the mom's vacuum when uh, the boy hears about the broadcast along with the rest of the family. He tells his dad that uh, he has him up in his room. Meanwhile, Kirk and the team are able to make it outside of the house only to be attacked by giant ants. Luckily, the boy is able to track them down and he saves them from the ants. Later, Kirk meets with the Quitterin leader, as planned, and then once it's over, they beam up, saying that they will travel through Transporter in the future to prevent any kind of accident again. Uh, Scotty's parting words to the leader is that he regrets that he cannot invite their new friends to the Enterprise because they just wouldn't fit in. Wah, wah. The end. Good one, Scotty. It's a little racist. You just won't fit in. We would (laughs) invite you, but you're just not going to fit in. You're just not going to fit in. We we just don't like your type. Sorry. (laughs) So, speaking of British, um, I did like that these giants used the British uh, AC ports in their house. Oh, you notice like their that. vacuums in and things like that. You notice that? Funny. Yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, the Brits use huge plugs. They are big. Right. But what'd you think? This is a uh, you know an interesting uh, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids" type episode. That's that's what I kept thinking of the whole time. Just uh, if you were really tiny, everyday things in your house would. Kill you. Vacuums, ants, spiders, yeah. Uh, yeah. model trains. Right. Um, I, I guess Ant-Man comes to mind a little bit now that you talk about model trains. But, but really what came to my mind just shows the difference in our ages. Uh, because I don't, I think I saw the first Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, maybe, but I really don't remember much about it. Mm. Immediately what came to my mind was, of course... Irwin Allen's Land of the Giants. So that was a TV show. Might have been on ABC. I don't remember exactly. But that ran from 1968. So that little overlap with uh, Star Trek, Taws, uh, to 1970. So 68 to 70. Um, and in that, the, a group of small people ended up in a planet full of giants? How, how did it work? Just I, I don't remember all the details, but... Basically, it was a commercial airline flight, but in the future, when instead of planes, you're basically in uh, kind of sort of uh, rocket ships that are able to, or spaceships kind of, that are able to, uh, you know, take you from one part of the, the globe to the other part of the globe, and you're, pro- you're, you're going really high. So you're almost into space uh, before you come back down again. Mm-hmm. So, so to going even further than SST. So somehow... There's this commercial flight, and there's a pilot, and there's a co-pilot, and there's, you know, a stewardess and whatever, or a stu- steward, flight attendant, flight attendant, that's what I should be calling it, I guess, uh, and then passengers. So somehow, I don't remember exactly how, but somehow on this normal flight, 
they end up landing on the land of the giants on a Romalan production. So they're, yeah. So it's the same, it's the same thing as this. You so know? it's a contemporary but, planet. A contemporary planet, yep. But they're just giants. They're giants. Okay. And and there's a there's an episode with a kid who who takes them as playthings and uh, and instead of the uh, Star Trek shuttle uh, that that brought them there, you know they have the space plane that that brought them to the land of the giants right that they right. had to abandon now um, and you know there are some episodes with rats and there are some episodes with spiders and there's some episodes you know the whole the, the whole deal. Sure. Uh, this just completely reminds me of it, uh, of that show. Right. Of course. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. So maybe, uh, maybe, maybe they did get inspired by that show. Well, you said it was like, out around this time, right? Before well, yeah. So sixty-eight to seventy, and okay. this was written. This was published on, in seventy-two, and uh, and who knows when and if who this TV show probably ended up playing in the UK at some point. Uh, so they might be familiar with it. I don't know. But, uh, yep. yep. So that was the U.S. air date, 68 to 70. That's funny. That's cute. So it's different from the first time they did it, right? You know, with the uh, Giants. Yeah, the, uh, the UK strips did it. Yep. Yeah, so that one was, they were very alien looking, and yep. uh, they just happened to be giant. Exactly. This one, at least... They look like normal guys. They just giant. Yep. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess it did have a very Ant Man feel when, when the kids playing on the train and Spock has to use a uh, army man gun in order to distract the kid, <laughs> so they get off the train and <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a lot to it that I didn't feel like I needed to discuss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of. Re- Ridiculous I, stuff. I enjoyed I enjoyed this one the most out of the three. I'll be oh, honest really? with you. Yeah, but I, I mean, not as a serious story. I mean, it was just a, a fun little "Honey, I Shrunk the Star Trek Crew" type uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, I liked the Collector one best of the three. But uh, yeah, this this is eh, probably this is number two. I mean, it was just all coincidental. Just like uh, the I mean, the kid. Let's just put your head. Wrap your head around this kid's motivations. Right. He finds little people that look just like him, but they're small. Yeah. Really tiny. Really tiny. And his first thought is, these are now my toys. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to stick them in my pocket, and I'm going to hide them from my parents so they don't see that I have these these little creatures. And I'm going to play with them in the marine room. It, it reminded me of, like, you know, you hear about people – catching flies and pulling their legs off and stuff like that. And I was right. just like, is, is this where they're going to go with this kid? <laughs> That's pretty well. He, yeah. And pulling wings off flies. He didn't, I mean, he does crush a spider. Right. But, um, but he doesn't hurt the crew. Thank goodness. Mm, mm, well, he puts them on the train, right? Yeah. But and, I don't think he's planning on killing them. Well, yeah, but, but reckless. So like Spock is saying, Jupiter, great Jupiter. I've got to do something before the uh, the train rolls off the tracks and the crew goes flying. Right. You know, or Kirkin. But they did were, fall off of a, a table in a glass yes. jar, and they yep. were okay. Yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, and I kept thinking about it. I was like, you know, in, in real life, when a... If you fell out from that high? Yeah, we would die. But then, but a smaller animal, like a, like an ant, can fall off and be perfectly fine. Um... <laughs> So w- w- would Maybe. gravity work different on this planet than it does on Earth? I don't. Yeah, good question. Don't know. Don't know. But it's all yeah. fantasy. So yeah, what you gotta do. But yeah, I think I think that should be part of the uh, first contact questionnaire. <laughs> what is your average height? <laughs> yeah, but with okay, so a foot in giant land is like 50 times longer than a foot in our normal place. That's true. That's so what, what, what did they, another thing, didn't they say at the beginning, uh, see you in, in one earth hour or something? Uh, I think uh, they did. Yeah, but maybe. It's like, okay, one earth hour. And being that, that guy on the planet, the, it's like, okay, thanks. One earth hour. What's earth? 
<laughs> number one. And who knows? Uh, you know, does the translation... Well, whatever. I mean, but the main point is, it's ridiculous. I mean, any any unit of time is... I mean, you can't even translate it. I mean, the universal translator would have no clue about what units of measure are. Right. Uh, for a new alien race they've never met before. Anyway. Yeah, and what's the uh, the unit of measurement that they use? Uh, it, it reminded me of like Battlestar Galactica when they when they just make up a word that kind of oh. sounds like something. Um, right. Okay. Oh, he you says mean, you mean that the aliens? Yeah, the aliens. They say they're not they're not much taller than two, and then I forgot what the word was. Um, well, was that was that like some some animal or something? Or no, nah, no, nah, I thought it was like their version of an inch. Oh, okay. Or something like that. Right. Oh well, I can't find it now. But, but yeah, it, was, it just reminded me of like you know how Battlestar Galactica calls everything things. Yeah, centons yeah. and things like that. Oh, there you go, centons. There you go, and then frac instead of you know f u c k. Right. I love that. I say I say frac all the time. Well, it is a word. It is now. I think it's always been a word. That's, what, that's how they get to the gas. The oh, gas fracking. Yeah. Fracking. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't think it was always meant to be a insult or a, a uh, an expletive. Well, I've always heard of fracking, but I've never heard the word frack, except on Battlestar Galactica. But mm. I guess, yeah, I guess. Good point. I haven't even thought of it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the boy, the boy's house, very British, with the cricket bat and the plug, which. For whatever reason, the plug really stood out to me. I don't know why. Right. The big, uh, the big three prongs. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they still have those big, huge plugs, even to this day. That's true. Yeah. Okay. You always have to buy an adapter when you're going to go over there. Right. And I remember doing it when I was working there for a while. It's just... But that was back in the 90s. Um, it, talk about over-engineering. It's like... But once you have it in all the houses, it would be hard to suddenly switch it. Oh, I completely agree. It just means you've got these big old cords all, all over the place you got to use. Right. It's like, and nowadays, you know, just look back on some Brit and say, who were you guys thinking when you made those big ass plugs, man? They're ridiculous. What are you guys doing? But it probably was a very safe way to do it. Right. Yeah. Because we, they had the, you know, the ground before it was the right common here. They always had the ground, uh, and we didn't for a long time at first. That's true. Yep. And even today, some plugs, you know, some things don't have the ground. It's an optional thing. Okay. Well. So, uh, so anyways, I, I like the story like that. I liked it. Uh, I liked the how they introduced the the idea of them being giants, but with mm-hmm. the uh, the giant bird and then the normal sized man looking at a dead bird and then shooting the, the shuttle. Right. I thought it was all well done. I, I like this one a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's cheesy fun, but I liked it. It's heavy on the cheese. Um, and, and, you know, uh, okay, so I just want to point out that uh, they were doing so well with tunic colors. And then what happens in this issue? We've got McCoy with a red tunic on. Is McCoy even in this one? Yeah. Huh. He's in the shuttle. Oh, okay. Now, mind you, he doesn't look anything like DeForest Kelly, but... <laughs> yeah, he. I think he's the one that was uh, was threatened by the uh, rat. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, he says Doc. So, yep, that was him. Yeah. I just thought that was some random crew member. Well, you would think so with a red tunic, wouldn't you? A red shirt. There you go. So they kill a bird, they kill a rat, they kill a spider. I mean, they don't directly kill the spider, but... They yeah, the kid does. It's the fine. kid kills it. They just have no, 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 no regards for life on this planet. <laughs> well, they do shoot the bird with the multi-directional phaser. Yeah, that's so that it could come. It's built into the shuttle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the okay. So they call it a multi-directional phaser. Okay, mm-hmm. and if you couldn't shoot it in more than one direction, it wouldn't be a very useful phaser, would it? 
or weapon. You can only shoot it in one direction. That's how most phasers work. To my right. Only that way. <laughs> no, multi-directional. Very, much handier. Much handier. All right. Handier. Anything else? Um, no. Not at all. All right. So I vote that next week we do some more. What do you think? <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, fine. Let's do some more. So we'll do 31 through 33. Sounds good. Okay, 31 through 33. Cool. Okay, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us on the review. Later. Bye. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at star t comicbookreview at gmail.com Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic second name book review See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review Let's get the hell out of here